Hey, if you're new here, we welcome you. Um, we've been in a series called Homesick. It's the big idea is this. Things can be really good for you. So we're not talking it's bad and, you know, whatever. Things are really good. Great marriage, great kids, good job, purpose, all that stuff. You got all the checklist good. And even though you have all the checklist good, there can be this angst, I call it, in your heart that says, is this it? Really, this is it? And I think the reason why is because we don't want good, we want fantastic. We want perfect. We want great. And what I say is that was actually what we were designed for in the Garden of Eden. It's fantastic, it's great, it's perfect. And so anything short of Eden will always leave angst. Well, you know the story in chapter three, humanity sins and says no to God and God says, okay, you can't live in the garden anymore. Exiled from the garden. And for the rest of the Bible, essentially, we've lived east of Eden. The good news is, for those that love Jesus and wanna live with the king, Revelation 22, 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible says, your destination is even better. So that's what you're designed for. The destination is even better. The city of New Jerusalem, if you read it, has all these links back to Eden, the tree of life, the rivers, right? It's all these links back saying, this is better. And that's your destination. So we know that, those are the bookends. But the question is, we don't live at those two extremes, we live in the middle. So how do we live now well? How do we live homesick the way things are? How do we live well? Well, the Bible, the majority of it is people that live in exile, literally. And so what we've done is we've looked at these characters in the Bible that were living in exile and, and what did they do in exile that was brilliant? And so we've just come to these character studies. Moses, his example for us is fight, fight pharaohs. Things that are evil and broken, you fight them, right? Esther, her example was risk. Risk your, your person and risk your position for other people. We're supposed to risk. Then we saw Ezra last week, this pastor scribe, Levite, who revived a nation to go back and, and live in a, really ruined city. And, and part of our job is to revive people and have our own souls revived. Okay, so that's what we're doing. Today, we have the fourth guy. His name is Nehemiah. So you can turn with me if you want to the book of Nehemiah, where we'll be taking the fourth in our series of how to live wisely in exile. So Jesus, this day, we are happy to be gathered as your people into this place. Most of us can sense at some level a homesickness where we know things should be better, but they just aren't. And so this morning, Lord, we come to you and we ask for wisdom on how to live well today. Give us wisdom, we pray. Give us wisdom. May we learn wisdom from this man, Nehemiah. 
May we learn how to better go out into the city that you've placed us in, the community of Josephine County. May we learn how to go into it as those that bring salt and light and love and life. So help us. We ask this in your name, amen. Okay, some background on Nehemiah. Um, He is a contemporary of Ezra. So Ezra last week and Nehemiah, they were buddies. We'll actually see them in chapter eight get together. Ezra though, was a pastor who lived probably in a refugee camp by a sewage canal, as Ezekiel talks about. Down and out, hard, difficult. Those are the people he's with. Nehemiah, very different. He's a politician. He lives in the palace. He's got a posh job. He's got it made, okay? He is in the circles of power for the empire. That's what he is, okay? And his job is cupbearer. What a cupbearer would do is this. A cupbearer was a guy that would sip the king's wine. Guess why? See if it was poisoned. And then if it wasn't, he would give it to the king. Would you like that job? Now, if the king is a great king, it's a good job. If the king is a jerk, he goes through a lot of cupbearers. Okay? So essentially, it would work like this. A couple of years ago, a bunch of them actually, we went up to get Christmas trees. There was no snow that year, so we survived, thankfully. And while we're up there, I noticed that the Matsutake mushrooms were coming up. So I got a bunch of them and I brought them home and I started to cook them up for my family. And I was really excited because Matsutakis, if you don't know, they are so good, so good, the king of mushrooms. So I'm cutting them up and I'm cooking them and I'm starting to eat them. And my wife comes in the kitchen. I'm like, here, try this. And she said, no, thanks. <laughs> and I said, why not? And she gave me that look that was, you might be good at some stuff, but I don't know how good you are at picking stuff up in the woods to eat. She gave me that look, right? And I said, why? You're not gonna eat them? You think they're poisonous? She did not answer me. So I said, you think these are poisonous and you're just letting me scarf them down? I mean, what? what's the deal here? I said, listen, eat one. It could be really romantic, like Romeo and Juliet. You know, we perish together. Now, To give her credit, she did eat one after she waited 30 minutes and she took my pulse. Okay, that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah would sip some wine, he would set it down and he would just sit down and they'd wait and watch him. After 30 minutes, they'd like take his pulse and the king would be, okay, I can drink the wine. So that's his job. And during those 30 minutes, Nehemiah had the king's ear and had conversation and could talk. So he was very important to the king, his confidant in a way. So he had that kind of relationship. He's up there, all right? So with that background, let's read the story. Chapter one, verse one, Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there, 
in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Nehemiah, out and about in the fortress, sees one of his buddies who's just traveled back from Jerusalem. Hey bro, how's it going? How is it over there? It's terrible. The people are in great trouble. They're in shame. And here's why. The wall that goes around the city and the gates are gone. Now in an ancient city, it required a wall. If not, marauding groups of thieves would just come through at night or during the day or whatever, and they would destroy and kill and steal and do whatever they wanted. You had to have a gate. Gates and walls kept the evil out. That's what they did. And in the city, they're gone. It's a free-for-all. Now, thinking about it, bringing it into the today, I wonder, are the, the things that we used to trust in, the, if you would, the gates that kept out bad stuff, do we still have those today in our culture in America today? So it used to be, let's say 30 years ago, you could leave somewhere bad and move somewhere good and you knew this will provide a certain kind of safety for my family, right? So if I don't want my kids to experience certain things, I could leave a bad space. I could leave Portland and come to Southern Oregon, for instance, and that's gonna provide a buffer for some years where they don't, ex- don't, they don't expose the same thing, right? It's like a gate. Is that true anymore? No, why? Internet, exactly, technology. You can, you, whatever is out there is accessible today, no matter where you're at in the world. Right? So then people take it another step. Well, well, then I'll move to Southern Oregon and I will homeschool my children. Okay? Does homeschooling protect your kids from bad stuff? Now, I tried to find a study in this. I couldn't. I don't know if a study has been done. Here's what amazes me and really grieves me in talking to homeschooled men, kids that were homeschooled all the way through. And I don't know the percentages and, I, and, and maybe I'm off just because of the kids that are coming to me and asking me for help. But here's what really, really is um, grieving. So many homeschooled men are addicted to pornography. And I asked them like, what happened, bro? And here's the story. Almost always it was, well, my, my parents, you know, homeschooled me. And then the eighth grade or the ninth grade, I just started on a computer. That's what I started on. My classes were on a computer. Everything was on a computer from that point on. And my parents didn't put up the right gate. And so like any kid would do, I started exploring the internet. And I came in contact with stuff. And I'm addicted. And we have to walk them out of that. And I don't know if it, the, the statistics are different or not, but man, it's a lot of them. It's grieving. I'll tell you what. If you have kids, put gates on things. Put gates on them. My children, you can ask them, they have phones. I put gates on them. They, they get mad at me. I say, I don't care. I don't care. When you're 18 and you're paying for your own phone, you can do what you want. But until that point, I'm putting a gate on it. And I lock their phones down. If you don't know how to lock an iPhone down, ask me, okay? I know how. And even your kids get upset, it's okay. To me, it's like, 
letting a two-year-old kid play with a handgun, eventually there will be a problem and I don't let it, put a gate on it, okay? And then here to me is another gate that used to be there. There used to be a stigma with pornography, right? Like it was like, oh, uh, is that stigma there anymore? No, it's gone mainstream. I'll give you an example. So Kanye, I don't know if you know him. He's a singer guy, uh, big time guy. He goes on the Jimmy Kimmel show just a little while ago. And there's a song he sings about his daughters. He has these daughters where he is worried about the way that men may treat them. And so Jimmy Kimmel asks him a question. Hey, having daughters, has that changed you? And all these views and stuff. His answer, nah, I still go look at porn on national TV. And guess what the audience did? Cracked up. Oh, that's the funniest thing in the world. Why? Because there's no stigma to it anymore. There's not the brown paper bag and it's kind of, it's national TV. You're never gonna be C-listed by this. In fact, oh yeah, okay, sure. There's no stigma. So the old walls that you should just kind of, you know, make it kind of like, oh, well, I don't know, maybe that's not appropriate. It, it's, they're gone. And we have to deal with the way culture is today. That's the way it is. And we have to deal with it that way, right? Schools. Schools used to be like a wall for your kids a little bit. Like it would, they would kind of, they would teach morality, right? Just read curriculum from the 1800s, 1900s, all the way up to, well, it started to change in 1963. And that was the year that schools said, no more Bible reading in school. And I understand why we did that, okay? And then again, in 1980, we said, you may not post the 10 commandments in school anymore. And I understand why that was done. But in reading the decision, when we said no 10 commandments in school, I found the reason why interesting. Listen to this. Don't post the 10 commandments, here's why. If the posted copies of the 10 commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps venerate and obey the commandments. This is not a permissible state objective, end quote. Now, we're not trying to post Romans 10, 9. Hey, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, right? We're not trying to post that. We're posting, don't murder. Don't steal. Kindergarten morality. Maybe, maybe we should. Maybe don't call them 10 commandments. You just say, don't kill, don't steal, don't take stuff that's not yours, don't lie. Just you know, call it whatever you want. But I don't think schools anymore, because of the way they've moved, are teaching like black and white morality because I don't think they're allowed to anymore. You're just not. And so that old wall where for a long time in our country, we kind of had this knowledge that, hey, when my kids go to school, they will be allowed to teach really black and white, hey, this is right and this is wrong. Now it's very much like, how do you feel about this? And I get that, that's where I was a culture. And we can, we can get mad at that and it makes me feel homesick, no doubt, because I think, Jesus, come quickly. The king needs a return. But this is our culture. And I said at the beginning of this study, I think as believers, we'll feel more homesick because we know what it could be. 
we know, oh, this could be brilliant and this could be awesome and it could be something. And when it's not that, there is a part of us that goes, we'll feel more homesick. So what do we do? Well, this is why we're doing this study. Look what Nehemiah does. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Sounds like a broken record, huh? He prays. In fact, 11% of the book of Nehemiah are the prayers of Nehemiah recorded. He prays all the time. It might be the highest percentage. I haven't tried to figure this out, but it might be the highest percentage of any book that he just prays. Let me tell you something. There is no power in prayer. You understand that? That if you pray to your fishing rod to catch fish, there's no power in that. If you pray to a doorknob to help you, there's no power in that. There's power because Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven. That's where the power is. It's plugging in prayers, plugging in to the power source and saying, do something, do something. It's Colossians 1.17. You are the creator and the sustainer of the universe. I'm connecting to you. It's 2 Chronicles 16.9. Your eyes go to and fro through the whole earth, looking for someone to show yourself strong on their behalf. Look at me. That's what it is. So he prays. He partners. Skip down chapter two, verse four. I think he's taking a sip of the wine. He's waiting. The king and him have a conversation. Nehemiah doesn't look that well. What's wrong with you? He says, my city is broken down. So here's what happens. The king then says, what are you requesting? Look at what happens. So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He prays, but number two, he partners. He partners with God. He's like, I prayed about this and I wanna be the answer. Is that how we pray today? I think there's a Christianese and I do it. Or someone will tell me, hey, I'm in great trouble and shame. Verse three, chapter one. And then I go, boy, I don't wanna be involved in that. Oh, let me pray for you, bro. And I'm done. That's not Nehemiah. Nehemiah prays and his prayer is, I wanna be the answer to this now. I wanna rebuild that city. Their trouble and their shame, now I want to partner and see it changed. He partners with Ezra in chapter eight, verse one. It's like Nehemiah is the politician, the business guy. Ezra is the priest and they get together and they have this Bible study. I love it. You'll see when they rebuild the city, if you read this book, that there's all these crazy partnerships, this merchant with this priest, musicians get out there and work. That's a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> Taylor Swift's moving some block, like, whoa. That's how huge it is, like these brilliant partnerships. I love that. And look at this about the partnerships. Look at chapter three, verse one. 
Lots of really good names here. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired, man. And next to them, Zadok, this is the problem with reading the Old Testament out loud. The sons of Bena repaired, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Okay, here's what's being said. You have these communities. Next to them was a broken down wall and a bad gate. And this community said, this is right next to us. Let's rebuild it. So it's the very area where the problem was that the people got together and said, hey, let's rebuild the the gate around our area. And then the next crew said, hey, yeah, we'll start where you're ending and we'll rebuild next to our area. And they do this all the way around the entire city. I think that's so cool. So we do community groups and I think they're really important because community is huge, right? That, That technology now fakes us out that we have community, doesn't it? I don't even know what people use it. Like Facebook, I don't know. But Facebook has friends, right? I don't have Facebook. There's Facebook friends. Are they really your friends? Right? People have like 36,000 Facebook friends. Those aren't your friends, right? Even the cast of friends doesn't have 36,000 friends. It's impossible. So I think we get tricked into like, hey, this is community. So we're like saying now, hey, it's really important to have community. So we have these community groups, like really have community. But what we do now is we take like people from all over and then they'll come to somebody's house and it's good. And I love that. But I wonder if a better model is this six block radius is a community group. So everyone that lives in this radius, you're you're in a group together. And you own those six blocks. And you know what's happening there. And you have big barbecues and block parties and, and you're just saying, God, this is our territory. And we wanna rebuild what's broken here and put gates up on what's broken here in this little area. And if you did that all over the city of Grants Pass, what happens then? Man, we take ownership. And there's community. So, hey, you're alone with what's happening in your community. You know, hey, there's six other families in this area. And if something happens, I call them. Man, maybe that's the right way to do it. That's how they rebuilt this city. They did exactly that. And I've mentioned this and we've talked about it. I don't know. It's a fascinating to me idea, Okay. And you keep going in this book and there's great stuff. Marriages are sanctified and sin is repented from and, and evil is, is pushed back. It says the people built the wall with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand, right? Sometimes you gotta fight and sometimes you gotta build. And knowing the balance is important. There's all these great lessons in it, but, but I got one for us. There's run, one reason why the miracle of a, city wall being rebuilt in 52 days happens. There's one reason why families now are protected by gates, why kids can play in safety. Moms can sleep. Injustices stopped. 
Marriages are sanctified. Evil is pushed back. There's one reason. There's one reason. And let me read for you again and see if you can pick it out. Chapter one, verse two. Hannah and I came and I asked them concerning the exiles. And they said to me, the remnant there is in trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying for the God of heaven. Nehemiah cared. He cared to ask the question and he cared to respond when he heard it. He cared. Do we care? And probably this message might be more for me than any of you. Because two things happened to me this summer that birthed this idea. And they're this. Number one, a couple of months ago, I took a walk with Jim Broomback. If you don't know Jim Broomback, he is a fantastic human. He's a, a guy who, I'm gonna say, one of the most influential people in Grants Pass that nobody knows, right? He's way up there. Meets with mayors and commissioners and, and goes to Salem. And he, he's fantastic. He, he's like a prodigy. He, he went and, and traded stocks in Chicago and retired when he was like 18 years old. And then went to school to become a pastor. Reads the Greek like fluently. Whenever he sits, whenever he comes to church and I see him, I don't mention anything about the Greek. I'm like, no, <laughs> skip that lesson. And he's awesome. He just loves Grant's past in his late 60s. So he grabs me, we have a, uh, a walk. What I do now with a lot of people is I just go for a walk. Something I have much better conversations when I walk than when I sit. So I do this walk around where, where the office is. So I grab Jim and, and we're talking vision, what's happening and we're walking. He's just this guy I love. And the whole time we're walking, this is what he's doing. Very naturally, he's picking up trash. He's picking up trash. And I do this walk all the time. I've seen that trash 20, 30 times. Never did anything about it. The whole time he's picking up trash. When we get back, he's got this big handful of trash and he throws it away. And he, didn't do, he did it naturally. You know Why? because he cares about our city. It doesn't matter if he's sitting with the commissioner or the mayor, it doesn't matter. It's my city. I don't want trash in my city. And so when I'm walking around, I'm gonna pick up trash because I want it in my city. And I thought, man, God, do I care? Huh. And the second thing was this, just a couple of weeks after that, I'm in my study at home studying for Sunday message. When one of my kids runs in and says, there's a guy here and he's trying to steal your gas. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> my house, there's a dead end. There's a driveway. There's another driveway. And there's another driveway that dead ends at my house. You don't just end up at my house. You came down there, okay? I'm like, what? So I get up and I walk out there and there's this guy and he's like in his early 20s, got this beat up old Toyota truck. He's got no shirt on and his pants are way too low. I'm like, oh, dude, come on. Man, I don't wanna see that. I gotta gouge out my eye now. So he's doing his thing and, and he's just kind of like, you know, he's not there. He's, he's on drugs or something. And so I start doing the dad dance. Dude, what are you doing? What's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I was, I'm running out of gas. I'm like, so why are you on my property if you're running out of gas? That makes no sense. Oh, I, I thought Fields Home Improvement was back here. No, you didn't. No, you did not. You are lying to me, man. 
you're lying. And the whole time he's got this, I can see the tires of a scooter and he's got this tarp he's trying to cover the scooter up. And I'm thinking, why are you trying to cover that scooter up? What is happening? Did you just go to somebody's house and steal the scooter, right? So now I'm just, I got my son Myron out there and Elijah and, and Gabrielle. And I'm just kind of like, get out of my, get, get off my property. That's where I'm at. And he's like, oh, everybody gas, get off. So I give him a quart of gas, I get out of here. So he leaves, right? So friend comes over a little bit later. And you know, my son Myron, who's five, he's just all hyped up. Oh, there's this man came he's trying to steal gas. You know, he's telling this guy and the guy's like, whoa, okay, that's crazy. He's like, what'd you do? I explained to him what I did. He's like, dude, why'd you do that? Are you kidding? You need to stop that guy. What, he's gonna leave your house and go to some grandma's house and you want her to deal with that? Or he's gonna go to somebody who's not home and steal their stuff from them? Dude, you are wrong. You should have done something about that. And I was like, shut up, man, just shut up. <laughs> I was so convicted. The men of our city don't do what's right, who will? If my care stops at my property line, the walls and the gates will never be rebuilt. And it broke my heart. I should have. I should have took a picture of him. I should have given it to police that I know. I should have alerted all my neighbors, hey, there's this dude, he's in a black Toyota, beat up Toyota. I should have done that, and I didn't. And it broke my heart, they don't care that way that my care ended at my property line. That's not how cities are changed. Not at all. It broke my heart. And I sat down this week and I just wrote out a list of like, what do I actually care about? If I'm really, really honest, what do I care about? I just started writing stuff out. I hate that list. <laughs> I hate it. And so I started praying and repenting and saying, Jesus, I want a list that I write that I can love. That I can say, this is, this is good stuff to care about. This is it. This is it. Like we can complain about the schools and be like, ah, this stuff is happening in schools. Okay. Well, do we care? Do we fast and pray for them? Do we say, send me? Right? There are kids in those schools that, you know what? They grew up without walls and without gates. And what they need right now is somebody to come and say, dude, you're awesome. I love you. Let me walk with you. Let me help you. That's what they need. There's a gap program right now at Hidden Valley. It's trying to do that exact thing. Just started this year. What if we said, we're doing that because we care. We care about it, right? Loneliness is an epidemic. We know that. People are lonely, more lonely now. Every study in the world, more lonely than ever. It's super bad for people. Worse than smoking 20 cigarettes a day. You know this, I've said this over and over. So it's an epidemic, okay. You know the epicenter of loneliness? You know where it is? Who said it? What'd you say? What is it? Home. What, home? I say this. I say, home could be a good one though. Um, nursing homes. They're epicenters. You ever walked into one of those? You bring a child into a nursing home, guess what happens? Like zombies are like, <laughs> they just come, they're like, oh, life, kids, community, right? They do. Last time I took Gabrielle in there a couple of years ago and man, this guy came out and proposed to her. I'm like, dude, you back off, man. <laughs> Why? Because it was life. We can, we can sit here and be like, oh, the walls are broke down and our culture is this way. Or we can say, not in my city. 
No trash in my city. No loneliness in my city. I'm gonna do everything I can. What if we started really caring? What about if we were known, the community of Grants Pass, the believers in Grants Pass were known as the people that, man, when there's a meeting, they get here early, they're like, hey, can I help set up? When the meeting's over, like, hey, can I help anything? Can I help tear down? Like we are just known as people that we care outside of the, our little borders, that we care. That's my prayer for myself. God, help me to care about the things that you care about. Help me. The name Nehemiah, you know what it means? Yahweh comforts. See, we've been given a better than Nehemiah. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what's amazing about me. The, the, the city, Nehemiah never, never built anything. All he did was like, hey man, the, the, the gates broke down by your, by your neighborhood. Oh, there is. And all the rubble is still there. Oh, it is. Rebuild it. Okay, we will. Right? All he did was point out the problem and say, you guys can do this. And they did it. Oh, that we might hear Nehemiah. Hey, th- th- there's broke down things. But guess what? All the material's there. You guys are awesome. You guys got all these skills. All right. Let's rebuild. Let's do it. God's spirit in us saying, Matt, right here, care. Matt, right here, do this. And our city gets changed. And the list that we write, when we say, what do we really care about? We say, oh, that's a brilliant list. I love that list. See, we're supposed to care because Jesus left a better job than Nehemiah, traveled much further than Nehemiah. The Bible says this, the king of the universe became the servant to all of us for one reason. You know why? He cares. He cares. If you look at Jesus's life, ministry for Jesus was not set appointments. Ministry for Jesus was walking the streets. Bro, you're blind. You want to see? You're lame. You want to walk? Bro, your arm is all shriveled up. Extend it. He asked because he cared. It became the answer. That's been my prayer. God, may I care about what you care about. And may I see the city that I love rebuilt, beautiful, incredible. So maybe you're in the same spot as me. Maybe your cares have gotten with the things of this world instead of the things of eternity and that matter. And so when you take the cup and you take the bread, remember what Jesus did for you. That he left the most incredible place ever because he cares. And now we should do the same thing. So Jesus, this day, as we take the bread and take the cup, we ask that your example, your life-giving, brilliant example would inspire us to live life like you did. That as we walk and as we're about and as your spirit of comfort is within us, may we be carers. May we care. May godly men care. May godly women care. May the students here that go to schools, may they care for the kids that have broken walls and no gates in their homes. 
May we care. And may our city see a miracle like Jerusalem saw. A miracle where in 52 days it's transformed. May we see that here, Lord. May we not grow callous, Lord. They lived for years and years in a broken city and it took one guy to inspire them and transform their city. May Nehemiah be that inspiration to us today as well. May we care. May we eat and drink strength to care. And I ask this in your matchless, powerful name, amen.